Well, good morning. It is a good day to be in church. All right, it's just me. Awesome. Well, it's good to have everybody here in Worship Center 1, 2, online. If you're joining us, man, we are glad that you are here today. Now, we are starting a brand new series today called Stop Going to Church. Now, I warned many of you last week that we were going to be talking about that, and many of you came anyway. So today we're going to talk about Stop Going to Church. And this is a new series that is going to warn you about the three problems with going to church. And we're going to focus on this over the next several weeks. And I want to ask you a question. What would it look like if you went to heaven tomorrow and Jesus looked at you and said, Hey man, you went to church a lot. But it didn't seem to make a difference. What if he said, you were there in attendance a lot, but it never rubbed off? That's what we're going to be talking about over the next three weeks. And here's what we're going to try to break down. Jesus didn't die so that we could go to church. He died so that we would become the church. There's a big difference. Okay, um, let me help you out. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about apathy. Okay, and so that I can illustrate apathy, how many of you were good students in high school? This is interactive preaching, folks. Okay, awesome. I was not, and here's how I will prove it. Uh, So going into my senior year, you had to have 24 credits to graduate. Okay, we break that down. That's six credits a year. Going into my senior year, I had three credits. I would uh, view, you know, you go to school for about 180 days a year, and I would view about 90 of them as crucial. And the other 90 were my own time, my time to myself. So going into my senior year, I had three credits, and I can remember somebody asking me, like, hey, man, after you graduate, what are you going to do? And as he was asking me that question, a counselor from the school was passing by and snickered. (laughs) He's like, Daryl's not graduating. And that kind of hit me at that moment. It was a little sobering at that point that I had not told my mother that I have gone to school for three years. I'm going on my fourth. I better graduate because she's going to show up to my graduation, and I'm only going to have three credits to my name. So I get serious. I go to the guidance counselor, and he's like, well, we do have a program. It's called dropout prevention. I was like, well, I'm not dropping out. He's like, yeah, but that's the only thing that's going to help you. And so he puts me in the class, and you do classes at your own pace. And so I'm like, hey, what are we going to do? And uh, so I start doing them, you know, and it's like on the computer, it's like two plus two equals. I'm like, four. And they're like, congratulations. I'm like, yes, this is the best class I've ever taken. Well, I become a superstar in dropout prevention, which leads to senior awards night. At Senior Awards Night, I get invited. Why would I get invited? I have no idea. So we just go. My family goes. And there's a category for dropout prevention scholarship. (laughs) Guess who wins the dropout prevention scholarship? This guy right here. $500 to the school of your choice. If you want to know, 
I went to school all the time. I just didn't show any signs of going to school. When everybody else was getting grades, while everybody else was getting, you know, the signs like assignments and turning those things in and going, I just looked like I had never been. On paper, I couldn't prove it to anybody, but I was there all the time. Apparently, I was there for no reason. That's what apathy looks like. Apathy from the Greek translate without feeling or indifference. It's closely connected to your attitude. It's kind of like it doesn't matter or whatever. It suggests that we've become lethargic, dry, you know, stupidity, senselessness. Okay? And it itself, it's not a diagnosis, but it's a symptom of a bigger problem. That causes discouragement, a, a mix-up of priorities, sin, selfishness, discontentment can all contribute to the growth of apathy. It's possible to cling to the truth, know God, and still be apathetic. It is possible to come to church all the time and be apathetic. We know this principle how. I will illustrate it to you this way. How many of you know people who are married that like they are begrudgingly married. They're married, but you, it doesn't feel like it. You like ask them, they're like, Whoa. I can't stand that person. But it wasn't always like that for them. When you first get married, it doesn't show up like that for everybody. When you first get married, they all start off the same way. Okay, boy meets girl, girl goes out, you know, they all hang out together and they're, you know, they're like, hey, you want to hang out? And they're like, yeah, they have a good time. And then one day it leads to another and they start driving up back in the day. I don't know what you do now, but back in the day you would go and drive and like park somewhere. Right? And then this is what would happen. If you're a smooth guy back in the 90s, you'd play this and just stare at your girl. So, so it brings you here. You know, when you walk those halls, looking real nice. I should know I'm in dropout prevention. Got a lot of time on my hands. Right? So when you're sitting there, it doesn't, it doesn't start that way. Those same people who are now begrudgingly married are like, you know, they didn't start that way. They were tied up in a car together. Okay? Then they moved on. They progressed from that point to their wedding day where they come in front of a preacher like me. And let me tell you what weddings are like for a preacher. Okay? It's like holding back the world's biggest feeling. Okay, let me explain. This is what it feels like is going on in their mind, and I'm trying to talk about Jesus. And I'm like, hey, uh, hold on. we got to back up here for a second. They're like, hey, preacher, get done with it. Got to move on here. Okay, that's what it's like. And it's like, do you? Yes. Do you? Yes. Now go, go, go. It's like, this is the last train out. You got to go. Okay. And then after a period of time, a long period of time, apathy sets in over a long period of time. And see, here's what happens. Let me give you a little side note. I'm not preaching about marriage today, but let me give you this. My wife's going to kill me. She's already upset about first service, but I'm going to say it again. You need to model to your children what a good marriage looks like. They don't just happen on accident, man. When my wife passes by, I'm like, good job. Okay, I have a license to do that, okay? You can't just swipe at 
Can't just slap everybody's behind us, just my wife's. Okay, but I've got a license. I might not have permission after today, but I got a license. As a matter of fact, I can show you the text in between service. I do not have permission. But see, that's the deal with apathy, man, is that over time they start to drift away, and those same two people who are in love can't even stand each other anymore. They still live in the same house. They still want to be there. And that's the thing is Jesus is going, I want you to love me with that intense love that you had at the beginning. I don't want this stale love. I don't want the stuff that's just left over. I I don't want your 50-year-old version love. I want the love that you had at the beginning. And we see this in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. He says, you, he's talking to the Ephesian church, a church that was very much involved in the beginning of the church, very, you know, very on mission, on point. He writes to them, he says, you have forsaken the love you had at first. This is 60 years later. At the beginning, they're on mission. They're telling everybody they can tell about Jesus. They're running after lost people. They're doing things they've never been able to do before. And then he tells them, you have forgotten your first love. See, the Ephesian church, they weren't on that you know, great daily adventure anymore. It was becoming boring. They were just kind of losing sight of their eternal purpose. Many of them feel like us. The church at Ephesus knew the teachings of Christ. Many of us grow up in church. We've been a part of church forever, but we forgot about the vibrant love, the vibrant power of the gospel. It's just become something we just do now. And the Bible's like, never let your apathy get to that point. And they compare it to sleeping. When you're asleep, you're not aware of your surroundings. You're just kind of there. You're in your own world, in the, in the church world, in the church realm. Okay, they're not literally going to sleep. But what are you paying attention to when you are sleeping? Nothing. You're just there. That's why guys don't sleep around other guys. Because you're so far out of it, we'll mess with you. We'll paint your face for no reason, just because you fell asleep. We weren't mad. This is what occurred in the church. They didn't literally fall asleep, but they fell asleep on the things of Jesus. They became insensitive to their spiritual responsibility. They became spiritually apathetic. They were cold and different. And that can affect even the most sincere Christian that sits there and doesn't do anything. Human emotions are fickle, man. They will feel one way, and the next day you don't feel it. Jesus is not a feeling. Somebody needs to hear this. Jesus is not a feeling. He's a rock. He doesn't move. You move. You might run around the rock going, I don't feel it. I don't feel it. Jesus is like, stop running around. I'm right here. It's not a feeling to be chased. You don't feel God one day and then not the next. It's not God who moved. It was you who moved. So we have to keep going after the things of God. God's not pleased or he doesn't tolerate apathy. The Bible actually is really clear on it. It says, because you are lukewarm, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 16, because you are lukewarm, this is Jesus talking, And neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That doesn't sound very pleasing. Okay, I'm like, I don't want to be spit out of Jesus' mouth. 
So because you are lukewarm, Jesus is addressing this message specifically to the church. He's not talking to unbelievers. When he's saying this in Revelation, he's talking to the seven churches. We're part of that. He's like, because you are neither hot nor cold, I spewed you from my mouth. Cold represents people who don't know Jesus. Hot represents people who do know Jesus. Apparently being lukewarm, somewhere in the middle, being indifferent to the things of Christ, messes with Jesus' stomach so much that he pukes you up. He doesn't tolerate it. It doesn't sound like something Jesus is excited about you joining into. It's not like he's like, hey, go become lukewarm. He says, you're not hot. And as a matter of fact, in con- you know, consecutive uh, chapters later, he starts talking about that it is worse off for you that you know something and did nothing than the person who knew nothing. It's more dangerous to know something about Christianity and do nothing about it than it is to know nothing about Christianity. You're in a worse place. That's the problem with coming to church and not becoming the church. It's like, oh, did you take a shower? Have you ever asked your kids if they took a shower and they came out and didn't smell like they took a shower? You just wasted water. I'm like, you know the soap in there, right? You got to use it. Wash your body. Come back to me. You smell exactly like I sent you in there. It is impossible for that shower to have had any effect on your body. Okay? That's what it's like for many of us who come to church. You walk in, it has zero effect on you, yet you're like, I took a shower. I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't get, don't get this messed up. That's not why you come. There's nothing incredible about this building. Coming here and expecting to leave a Christian is like going to McDonald's expecting to leave a cheeseburger. It just doesn't happen. You have to become a cow first, then get killed, and there's a whole process. A lot of things go into those cheeseburgers, not meat, though. (laughs) Jesus says that lukewarm people make him sick. He rejects them. He wants them out of his body. You are the body of Christ, and he wants them out. He wants the lukewarm people out of his body. How can I tell if I'm apathetic towards the things of God? Here's a quiz. Are you bored with the things of God? John Bloom defines boredom not as the opposite of busyness, but as the opposite of interest. Do you hunger for the things of God? You're like, nope, I'm bored when I come here. Well, here we go. You must not confuse the idea of coming to church as checking something off. You must become the church when you're in here. This is a refueling station. Some people have run out of gas on the other coast. That's why I live in the Midwest now. We never run out of anything but toilet paper. Mediocrity, maybe another indicator of spiritual apathy is the acceptance of mediocre. Do you pursue things with God's conviction? Or when it comes to serving and giving and loving and leading, are you just a person who skates by with a bare minimum? You're like, I'll just do what's you know kind of required. This Christian blogger, Neil, I can't pronounce his last name, says mediocrity is a sum of all times 
We choose to take the easy path with our faith. Maybe the third thing is disconnection. Man, we live in a digital age. Kerry Newoff says it this way. We live in a world where you can have 500 friends and still feel isolated and abandoned. Solitude is God's gift, is a gift from God. Isolation is not. It's a tool of the enemy. The trouble with disconnection, okay, isn't a social or emotional, but it's spiritual. You were designed to live in community. You were designed to be around people. Okay? How many of you are only children? How many of you had imaginary friends? Yep, there we go. Yeah, we have an only child who has an imaginary friend. Why? Because you want a community. Okay? We're born to want to be in community. That is the idea behind the concept of di- or not being disconnected. We need that. Other people encourage us. Other people lift us up. Some people are just in your life to make you smile. Some people are in your life just to drive you crazy. And you're practicing patience. I get that a lot. Number four, passive, uh, passivity. Sorry, I can't. Passivity. I'm not going to try anymore. I'm too tired. Some Christians need encouragement to think before they act. Others need encouragement to act after they think. Some of you, we will be so direct. We're like, you should do this. And you're like. <laughs> oh, he's, he's talking to him. I was like, your name, you, Steve. You're like, I'm Steve, but there must be a Steve right behind me. <laughs> no, Steve in the blue shirt. I'm wearing a blue shirt, but there's a Steve with a blue shirt right behind me. Okay, why? Because we think that God is always going to use somebody else or do something else because we're just becoming apathetic. We don't see the need to grow. We don't see why it's important. If you feel the Holy Spirit convicting you of apathy, take action. Take a step forward. Do the right thing. You know, my spiritual mentor who's coming in October, he's going to be speaking here. My hero, you're going to love him. He'll probably get rid of me. But he's coming, and he used to say this all the time, and it just buried in my hair. The right actions bring about the right emotions over time. If you just do the right thing long enough, you'll feel it eventually. That's why some of you, you're like, I don't even get it. I came here, and all these people are raising their hands in worship. Let me tell you what's happening. You're seeing an outward expression of an inward feeling. That's all you're seeing. There's nothing crazy happening. It's not like they're antennas. We're not beaming in. We don't have like a flag like, he's here. No, it's just an outward expression of an inward feeling. There's nothing crazy happening. You're like, man, that just looks so weird. It's not weird. It's only weird to you. You're the only one not doing it. In here, you're the weird one. You know, you have to step up and go, I want to grow. If you want to get out of the apathetic lifestyle, the first thing you have to do is be willing to grow. Another meaning for apathy is I don't care. It's not the same as ignorance. I don't know. That's different. Or complacency. I'm satisfied with my current status. Or laziness. I don't feel like doing anything. A lot of times these things overlap. Okay? But this isn't. 
about somebody who's ignorant or doesn't know anything about the Bible, that person's completely different. This is about somebody who used to do one thing and no longer does those things. That's an apathetic person. There are people who just months ago, before COVID, before all this, man, they were super engaged with the things of God. And now all of a sudden, they were scared for their life. I'm like, look, God... God can find you in your house. You can hide from anything you want. Okay, I'm not saying you need to be dumb and run outside. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that if God wanted to kill you in your house, you would have a heart attack. And some of you, no matter what was happening, you were waiting on some human being to come tell you it is all clear. And I'm going, it is good to listen to the judgment of people. But if you don't have sound advice from Jesus telling you what to do with your life, you have a problem on your hands. Because you're just going to follow humans everywhere. He said jump. I'm like, there's a cliff at the bottom. Yeah, but he said jump. There's a cliff at the bottom. Uh, I'm going to jump. Jesus is like, don't jump. That's a bad idea. You need to have the balance of both. You need to have the wisdom of man and the understanding of God. And I wish I had time to break that down for you, but I don't. Sometimes, in spite of knowledge, we, we do like soul-level numbness. It just kind of prevails in our life, you know. Have you ever like binged watched a show before and at the end you're like, what did I do that for? Like one time my wife was out of town and I watched the entire thing of Band of Brothers. I think it's 14 hours. And I just watched it straight. I was like, man, that's an awesome show. I don't know what I'm supposed to do now. <laughs> like that's all I got out of it. I'm like, that's an incredible story. I want to be Captain Winners. But that's all I got. I don't have anything else. You know? And half the shows I watch are mind-numbing. Like I love Teen Mom. Don't hate on me. Okay, I've been with those girls since day one. I ride or die with them. I pray for them. The show's already been filmed, and my wife prays for them. She's like, don't watch them. I can't pray for them. But apathy starts to settle in, man. We watch it over everybody's life, and they don't know why they're coming to church, and they're sitting back, and they're like, why do I come here? That's my question to you. Why do you come so how do I get rid of it? What do you start doing? In James chapter 4, 17, it says, Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. If you know how to get out of apathy and you choose not to, the third part applies to you. It's a sin for you if you just sit there and do nothing about it. If you're just like, I'm just going to be numb to the things of God. Notice it's not a problem of ignorance because you already know what you're doing. It's time to be like a tree. In Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 8 says, They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots to the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. You're supposed to be like that seed, man. And if you're not constantly growing and you're not tending to your seed, you've got a problem on your hands. If you take your seed and throw it on this stage, it's not going to do anything. If you come in here and plant your seed on your seat, it's not going to do anything. 
Your seed has to be watered, taken care of, planted in the right place, and it has to be looked after. So what does that look like for you, man? It looks like admitting that you're struggling with the things of God and going, you know what? I have become apathetic. I just come here because that's what I do. I've always come to church. How many of you just grew up in church and that's how you ended up in church? Anybody? Nobody. Okay, there's four of you up there. rest of you are all sinners just like me. We just walked in one day. This is nice. When you get to that point and you've been coming, you have to admit to yourself, maybe it's not my faith that I have. Maybe it's my parents' faith and I've never taken hold of my own faith. Maybe I'm just going to church because that's what I was told to do and I walk in and I feel good. This ain't about you feeling good. It's about you refueling so that we can reach other people. There's one thing we won't be able to do in heaven. That's the only thing we can do in heaven is reach people. We're going to have all the time to have amazing worship, to do the flag things that some churches do, cartwheels. You know, I might try a cartwheel in heaven during worship. I have no idea. I'm going to be there a while. Might as well give it a shot. One thing we can do is reach people. That's why spiritual apathy is the number one thing that will kill churches. How many of you know of churches who could care less if they grow or not? How many of you know of preachers who are like, I'm just happy with the 10 people I have? I'm not happy with the 10 people I have. We better not. Look, that empty seat next to you is a problem. That means somebody's not being discipled to go reach more people. You know the most exciting part about being a Christian is having other Christians. And I'm not saying like physically having them, although that is a ton of fun as well. You'll get that later. Watching somebody come to Christ and then mature in Christ is one of the best feelings and best things you could ever be a part of because Jesus is going, now you're doing my work. Now you're doing something. Now you're a part of a process that nobody else is a part of except for me and you. Let me walk through this part and, and here are the three things you need to do. Number one, you need to start praying even when it's hard. Nobody wakes up and wants to pray. I am a pastor for a living. I have never woke up and said, you know what I want to do right now? Pray. Every morning starts the same. I want to go back to sleep. (laughs) That's how my morning starts. And I'm like, I have to go. I'm going to go pray. And I pray for every one of you. The second thing you've got to do is read your Bible. You're like, well, the, the Bible's just boring. No, you're boring. The Bible, if you like action films, the Bible's the best one. More people die in the Bible in the first 20 chapters than any movie you're ever going to see. It's awesome. Jesus can just wipe out people. I mean, he's talking about sending fire down. And then the last book is the craziest. It's like Lord of the Rings on steroids. Revelation, I mean, there hasn't been a book written like it. Okay, you need your life, but it's hard. Push through. You know who wants you to stop? The devil wants you to stop. Why? Because if he can get you apathetic, you'll never change anything. You'll be like all the other. There are churches that are committed to dying. That's why they're called the frozen chosen. 
They want their group to go, and they could care less if the rest of everybody else goes. And I'm going to tell you, if you're in here and all you care about is the people in here, we got a serious theological problem on our hands. Because I'm not going to stop preaching until this whole city knows, and then we're going to open it up to the next city. People are like, when are you going to be done? Never when I get to heaven. The last thing, man, you need to feed yourself spiritually. Pray, read, worship, but also, man, listen to other people. I have to do that. I don't get to preach to myself. I don't, like, preach this in the mirror and then go, amen, Daryl. You did a good job, brother. Way to go. No, I listen to other preachers, man. I listen to Craig Rochelle all the time. I love him. I listen to T.D. Jakes all the time. I listen to Whit George all the time. These are guys you could listen to. Ashley Woodridge, okay? Awesome communicators of the word that just fill my spirit. I listen to Bill Kennard. He comes into my office. He tells me things that are incredible. I'm going to close with this. Paulie, Ryan, if you'll join me. Several years ago, I was teaching on apathy in Tampa. And uh, our family ministries pastor, Pastor Chris, and our production lead, uh, Gio, were both raised in that youth ministry. They came with me from Tampa. So we brought them to the middle of nowhere. And one night when I was teaching them, and Chris, I think, was about 15 years old when this happened, I brought up a fish tank, and the movie Finding Nemo had just came out. Brought up a fish tank, and it was full of goldfish. And I said, you want to know what apathy looks like? You want to understand apathy? I'm going to give it to you right here. And I pulled out another fish tank. It was completely empty. 100 goldfish, empty fish tank. And I said, apathy is having the solution in front of you or have the ability to help somebody or fix something and you could care less about it. You're just going to hold on to your comfortable lifestyle. You're going to stay seated. You will do nothing about it. You will watch somebody die because you don't want to do the effort it takes to go change somebody's life. And with that, I took a hammer and smashed the one with 100 goldfish in it. And all the goldfish, this didn't go over well with parents. All the goldfish come screaming on the floor and they're just flopping there. And I saw kids crying. They're like, no! Because this whole time I've been talking about Nemo. You don't care about Nemo. You only say you... And I was like, you have the ability. You know it's right in front of you. You just have to take a step and do something about it. And they're just staring at me. I was like, you have the resources right now to fix the problem in front of you. And they just stared at me. I was like, you can save a fish. <laughs> One kid steps up, grabs it, and throws it in the other fish tank. Well, once one kid does it, he sees the reality of the rest. We only lost one fish that died. All the other ones made it safely to their new home. Scared to death, traumatized. You don't have to clap. I'm sorry, Bill. I don't have time for that. But the thing is, all of us have this problem. You have friends all around you. 
And if they die tomorrow, you know as well as I do where they would go. And all the resource you've ever needed is in your hands, in your heart already. You're like, I'm not a preacher. You don't need to be a preacher. You need to use the resources God gave you and pick it up and do something about it. Don't be apathetic to the people around you. What's it going to look like in heaven when you're lined up? It says we all die and we will all face judgment. We're going to be in one line. And your friends are going to look at you in that line and go, Hey, hey, what's this all about? And at that point, it's too late. And look, don't tell me you're my friend and you have the cure to peace, understanding, tranquility, and everything that I need for my eternity, and you never once had the guts to share it with me. Don't call me my friend. There's enough turmoil in this world that people who need peace would love to hear about Jesus. How do I know that? Because... Jesus brings peace. Jesus brings peace beyond understanding, love beyond understanding. And there are friends all around you, everywhere around you work. Look at every empty seat next to you. Don't be apathetic to the cause of Christ. Don't just sit back and wait. Do something about it. They don't want to listen. They don't want to hear you preach. They want to watch you live. And if they haven't asked you what church you're going to, it's because you're not doing it right. You become apathetic. God is just the God of Sunday. No, he's the God of every day. He's the God who prays. He's the God who's specific. That's why I tell you guys, do, do not pray for somebody and don't be specific. Why? Because when they get their prayers answered, they'll thank everything but Jesus. I'm like, no, be so specific that the only person who could have known that was Jesus. And that he intervened with every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around. If you'd say today, Daryl, that's me, man. I've been apathetic. I've just been kind of putting my life on cruise control. I've been coming to church, but I haven't been the church. I haven't turned my life into the church to go out and reach this world. If that's you right now, can I just pray for you? Will you lift your hand? We're not going to make a spectacle out of you. Will you just lift your hand right now so I can pray for you? Thank you. Thank you. You can put it right back down after you raise it. Others in the building, you've been apathetic to the things of God, but you need to step up. Raise your hand right now so I can see you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put it right back down. Thank you, guys. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person within the sound of my voice. God, we're not going to sit back and be apathetic to the cause of Christ. Lord, we're going to surge forward. We're going to read our word. We're going to pray as if everything depends on us. We're going to read to understand. We're going to listen to glean knowledge, and we're going to share your word like never before. Jesus, I pray that you touch and minister to every person who raised their hand. Start that journey with them, I pray and ask. All these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you raised your hand a moment ago, let me encourage you. Rooted will help you on that entire journey. Maybe you didn't raise your hand. You've never taken Rooted. Take Rooted. 
It'll teach you how to share your story. It'll teach you how to pray. It'll teach you how to read your word. Man, we want to be a part of that. If you're here for the first time and I scared you half to death, I'm sorry. I'll do it again next week. Same time, same place. If you're a first-time guest, meet us at the Welcome Center. We'd love to meet you guys. God bless you. Have a great week.